Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today to Off the Bench. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Friday, July 2nd. You guys survived the month of June. I would, the Pride Month. I'm always so excited when we make it through June. And now, hopefully, you know, everything is not going to be covered in the rainbow flag. Although I do think maybe, just maybe, Christians need to start celebrating. Go, look, oh my goodness, for the entire month of June, we are celebrating God's covenant relationship with his people, saying, I will never again destroy the earth by water. And this is completely my introduction and I'm getting into the meat of my stuff. So stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. As many of you guys have heard by now, I am running to represent Washington State's third congressional in the race for Congress for the House of Representatives. We have a very important deadline coming up for fundraising. If you guys care about what's going on in this nation, if it is bothering you that the radical left is pushing to indoctrinate our children through the school system, if you care about what's happening at our border, if you would like to see school choice at the forefront of what we're talking about on the floor of the House of Representatives, I'm going to encourage you to join me in my run for the U.S. House of Representatives. You can support the run by going to HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. You can get on our prayer team. You can volunteer to help. You can absolutely sign up for our email address where we're keeping you guys apprised of what's happening with the campaign and what's happening politically with the issues surrounding Washington State. We appreciate your support, and you can support us at Heidi. HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. This ad was paid for by friends of Heidi St. John for Congress. All right, you guys, I am here today again with Emily Laddick, and I'm excited to be here with her because we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about the the Constitution and why it's so important that we understand it. Before I get into that, I want to remind you that next weekend, I'm going to be speaking at Calvary Chapel in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You guys are not going to want to miss it. I'm home now after having been gone for almost six weeks, and so there's a lot of things happening with the campaign, and so we hope you guys will check that out also. You guys, this country is worth fighting for, and as I've been saying for a long time, you know, we need to get off the bench and onto the battlefield. My friend, Melissa, of course, because she's been on the show many times with me. Melissa and I have been working together for almost 10 years. And when Melissa told me that she was starting to get involved in her local politics, you know, I was sort of fascinated to see how is this going to work? Because before Melissa moved to Enid, I never heard of Enid, Oklahoma. And now there's a lot of people who have heard of them because they're actually making a difference there in Enid, Oklahoma with the Enid Freedom Fighters. And today I'm really, really excited to have back Emily Laddock on the show with me. I told you guys yesterday that she's doing something really awesome. She has an awesome website called Great American Studies, and she has a passion for sharing truth through e-learning, and she's reaching the next generation of American patriots through these courses. You guys need to check it out. Emily began teaching as an adjunct college instructor of political science and history in 2004. She's got her master's in education and her BA in political science and history. And I'm so excited about what she's doing. Really excited just to see another fellow homeschool mom getting off the bench and onto the battlefield in such a profound way. Emily, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So yesterday we were talking a little bit about why our history matters. We sort of ended yesterday talking about the secularization of America and how we didn't start out that way. And it's actually hurting us. You know, the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And as we move farther and farther away from the founding of this nation, we're watching the light of liberty 
grow dim. And we want to stoke that fire, right? And part of that comes from knowing the Constitution and understanding its history so that we can understand the history of the country. And so today, I kind of want to focus on that, why the Constitution matters, why we need to know it, some of the best ways to teach it to our children. And I guess that's going to be my first question for you today. Why is it so important? You know, people say, oh, Constitution, who cares? You know, that's a, that's a you know, big wordy document. But there, it matters that we understand. Why does it matter? Well, have you ever tried playing a board game with your family and not read the directions? Yes. My husband doesn't like to read directions. And so, yes, yeah, we've there's many bad board games. I know. There's only <laughs> a few games that we like to play as a family because there's some really dry, long, boring directions that nobody wants to read and everybody argues about. Well, that's sort of the Constitution. Yeah. yeah. The sellers of, is it Catan? That's another one. <laughs> I, I played that once and they, they started to read. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I just want to move the person in and, and, and stoke the fire over here and get one of those little cool board game pieces. And I, I lost the game because I was so not, it was just too much for me and I wasn't that interested. And I think that's part of it. We're not that interested. Right. Right. And so we look at, oh, you know what? I don't, I'll just vote, you know, I'll, I'll wait for a political flyer to come in the mail and I'll try to figure it out. And boy, we got to go deeper. Right. Absolutely. I think most people pick up the constitution and want to have some great experience from reading it. And they do find out it's like long, dry, boring directions. If you know the history behind why they wrote it, it wasn't just this random list of things that they put together. And it wasn't their own original ideas to separate the government into the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. There's lots of political science and history behind why they did what they did. But the Constitution without history isn't really meaningful to most people. So what I try to do is share with you the history on why they put those things in the Constitution and why they're so important for us. So in my course, we read the Constitution together. So teaching the Constitution to high schoolers is a challenge because it is a a little bit of tedious learning, but we just have to do the hard things sometimes. So in my course, I try to give the relevant history onto why it made the Constitution. So if you look at the amendments, The Bill of Rights, right, that's the first 10 amendments to the Constitution or the first 10 changes to the Constitution. It's fantastic because the Constitution barely made it into being. There were state conventions to ratify the Constitution, but a majority of people, good people, like even Paul Revere, didn't want the Constitution because they felt it made a too powerful government. So they decided they weren't going to support the Constitution without serious changes being made immediately. Well, that's how we got our Bill of Rights. And Dr. Fears and the University of Oklahoma was probably the greatest historian and teacher of our generation, had this great way of grouping these amendments. The first through the fourth amendment are rights that were being denied by the king. These are things that we lived in our very near history of the framers, the things that the king of England did to violate the colonies. The fifth through eighth amendments are rights as Englishmen. So we learn most of our legal law on TV now. Right. But all of your rights as Englishmen, and there's great history about how we got our English law that goes back to William the Conqueror. Those are the Fifth through the Eighth Amendment. And the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment are the Anti-Federalist Amendment. These are the two amendments that were put in the Bill of Rights because the men who disagreed with the Constitution that they had too much power. The Ninth Amendment says that there are rights that are 
retained by the people, but not specifically listed in the Constitution. So think about your parental rights. Mm -hmm. You have parental rights because God gave you a child. Mm -hmm. So those rights aren't listed in the Constitution, but it doesn't mean you don't have them. The Tenth Amendment is the state's rights amendment that says if there's not something specifically mentioned in the Constitution or prohibited in the Constitution, those issues remain with the states or to the people respectively. So that's a huge, huge amendment that I think we're all learning in 2021 how important it is. And that's federalism. That's federalism. And we are a federal system. Absolutely. And why does that matter? Why do people need to understand that? I think if you know the history of the United States, and all of us know that we were British colonies, and we didn't like this unitary system that one king and his parliament was over us. We didn't like that one centralized government in London, and so we had a revolution and overthrew it. So... For a very brief time, we lived under a confederacy. The United States of America had a confederal system of government, meaning the 13 independent and sovereign states had one document, the Articles of Confederation, that was our legal document during the Revolutionary War. Well, after the revolution, there were lots of issues that were coming up, but the biggest one was Shays Rebellion, a bunch of military veterans who were losing their farms in foreclosure courts got angry and had a revolt in Western Massachusetts. Well, they were worried that this revolt was going to spill over into the other states, and it was evident that we needed a strong national government to stop the rebellion that the people of Massachusetts couldn't figure out. So these men got together, and we had the Constitution that created a federal system of government, meaning there's shared power, that there's um, power held by the states, and the states came together and wrote a national document that created the national government government, the Constitution. So that little bit of history is often lost or glossed over, but it's really important to understand that it was the states that came together to create the national government and that there's shared power between Washington, D.C. and your state government. So so a lot of our frustration right now is aimed at the federal government, and rightly so, because we federalized everything, right? And so, but why Why do we want this? Why do we need it? Why is it important? Why is the federal government important? I think the federal system is important to understand and to protect because if we look to Washington, D.C. as being the center of, of all of our help and all of our answers, we've created for ourselves a unitary system of government. Or back to the King of England. Back to the King of England. And we don't want that. So we have to look for ways to protect our federal system, and that means we need active state governments. We all learned how important governors are. Oh, boy. Didn't we ever? We did, yeah. So we have to start restoring the power to the states, which means sacrifice for us. That means that we're not going to get federal money flowing. That's the biggest way that the federal government is ta- that the national government is taking over and eroding our federal system is because people want the money. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is the problem we're having in the churches. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show. We were talking about the 501c3s and how that is really, that's the government has been stripping the voices of Christian pastors now for generations for money. If you think about it, like it boils down to money and we have to decide what's really important and it's not money. Right. You know, you and I were talking about this earlier. You know, I've been traveling for the last six weeks. Well, I'm doing sort of a planes, trains and automobiles thing right now. My husband has the bus and he's out and we're moving from place to place. And then sometimes I have to fly somewhere where he can't get me fast enough. So I'll fly and he'll meet me there in a day or whatever. But I was telling Melissa the other day, I could live 
in that motorhome. I, you don't need much, you know, you need food, you need shelter, you need a little bit of privacy. You know, we don't, we don't actually need very much, but we've gotten greedy. And that greed, and that greed has permeated the federal government, it's permeated our churches, it's permeated our families. All of a sudden, we're looking at getting money, and rather than that money is a tool that we can use to bless other people and to further either the gospel or to or to be that shining city on a hill that actually is uh, something that people can look to and go, wow, I want to emulate that, we become greedy. Absolutely. And that's kind of what's happening in the nation right now. And that's, I mean, that's the net result, I think, of the 501c3, which is why I keep telling pastors, look, if this is keeping you, if this is muzzling you, get rid of it because mm-hmm. we don't need it. But the fact of the matter is, as this has moved into our federal system of government and we've allowed the national government to say, well, we'll do this, that money never comes without strings, right? Right, absolutely. And I think I think why this change politically that we're seeing is happening so fast with homeschool moms is because we've already unhooked ourselves from this situation. We've already unhooked You're ourselves. You're already off the idea. Yeah, we're already gone. Mm-hmm. And so we see these things happening faster than other people. So I think it's our job to to be responsible for ourselves, to inform other people, which we're doing right now. But you talk about the pastors and the 501c3 thing. It's our responsibility to then leave that church. Mm-hmm. We're participating in the system. If if we're not asking asking questions, if we're not speaking and sharing the truth, and if we're participating in the system by what uh, by our attendance, then I think we're part of the problem too. Yeah. And these are tough choices. And getting involved in the Eden Freedom Fighters was you saying, okay, rather than staying home on a Thursday night and watching Netflix, I'm going to go down, put my red shirt on and say, absolutely not. I'm standing with Melissa Crabtree and we don't want your dumb mask mandate and Enid, right? right? And that was you making a decision to, to say this was more important than this. And we've got to make those decisions right now. And I think um, certainly that needs to happen in churches. This is something that's near and dear to my heart because Jay and I were in full-time church work for 20 years and we saw the tentacles of the of the government system, you know, infiltrating the church and just muzzling the pastors to the point where the pastors are ineffectual because we're unwilling to talk about the things that actually matter because you might offend someone who's a progressive in your church or you might lose your tax ID or someone could turn you in or whatever. And boy, we can't even hear from the voice of God when we've allowed the government to just overshadow that with its, you know, look at your 501c3, you know, it's, it's a nightmare. And you're talking about, so the federal system is very important and we do need it. And we are the United States, right? We don't hear about this very much anymore, but we are the United States and a house divided against itself cannot stand, but the states are going to have to take their rightful place back again. And we talked for a moment about states' rights and why this is so important. And I think a lot of people don't understand that it matters, the rights of the states to protect their own citizens. What are states' rights? Why do they matter? And how can we move back into a position where the states actually have the authority to do what's best for their people. Well, if you think about this like a scale, right? Like you have those two hanging scales. Um, When the constitution was originally written, the states had more power, much, much more power. um, I talked about the state of Massachusetts, their constitution, their state constitution was written by John Adams. They actually had a state church because the church is a great way to teach morals to your population. And there, it serves a great purpose for the government. So, this idea of separation of church and state is crazy to me or anyone that has any history. So states had huge power, even the power to have an official state religion. History goes along after the Civil War, that balance slams to the other side. The national government obviously took power and had more control 
If you know your Southern history at all, in the period of Reconstruction, the South was turned into five military districts and run from the central government in Washington, D.C., through the U.S. Army. So I think after the Civil War, after Reconstruction, and we look at the politicians that were in Congress when the Western half of the United States came in to the United States of America, it's a huge shift. It, the progressive movement, it was an absolutely huge shift. I think it's interesting that most of the Western United States, do you know who owns that land? Bill Gates, not enough. <laughs> the U.S. government. Okay. So it's so interesting to look at the federal ownership of land. The national government owns a majority of land out in Western states, whereas in the east of the Mississippi, as states came into the Union, that land didn't go to the national government, but deserts, mountains, all of these huge, vast tracts of Western America is actually owned by the national government. Well, that was a change because of the progressives in Congress at the time that admitted those states. It's really an identifiable shift after Reconstruction in the progressive era. Not all bad. Teddy Roosevelt, our national parks, we, we don't hate those, but it's just a shift in the but scales there's a lot of, of power. Other things that Roosevelt did that we actually do hate. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but a thank shift. you for the federal park. Do thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's us just learning what is the difference. People say federal government, and I slip sometimes and say it too, but there's a difference between the national government and the state governments, and we live in a federal system. So a lot of people talk about the feds. Well, are you talking about the Federal Reserve? Are you talking about the federal government? Because I think you really mean the national government. So what's the difference? So when you say, are you talking about the Federal Reserve? So maybe break it down. People who are listening are going, wait, they're trying to take <laughs> notes right now and, they, and you just lost them. We left them on the, on the side of the road. So the federal government and the Federal Reserve which the Federal Reserve is a bit of a nightmare. Right. And Am they're, I right? They're different things, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when people say federal government, they're probably talking about the national government, the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Which Nancy Pelosi is locked down right now. <laughs> yeah, behind a wall. Behind a wall. Yes. Fascinating. Um, the White House, right? The Office of the Presidency and the Supreme Court. That's what people generally call the federal government when it really it's the national government, meaning they have authority across all 50 states. The Federal Reserve is is our central bank. It was created in by an act of Congress and they control our monetary policy. These are not elected officials either. I oh, think no. it's important for people to know what the Federal Reserve is because it is fraught with problems. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something different that is sometimes called the Fed, right? The Federal Reserve thinks central bank and it's controlled by the national government. Um, and then we and have- they determine interest rates and things like that, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, they have so much more power than I think any anybody even in Congress or the president or the Supreme Court has. Yeah. So then we have state governments. So those are our 50 states, right? Our 50 governors, our 50 legislatures. There are 50 governors of which 37 are awful and need to, be, <laughs> and need to go, <laughs> including Governor Inslee. Bye-bye. Kate Brown, goodbye. Newsom facing a recall. Goodbye. Sorry, Emily. No, you're doing great. That's exactly what the issue is. We have to start seeing clearly whose is what and where the authority is. So we have to see clearly and say, I have this influence in my local government or in my state government. Enid Freedom Fighters is just now getting active in state politics. I don't know much about Oklahoma state politics, but I'm learning. Mm -hmm. And we have so much more power at local and state offices and 
governments than we do at the national government. I haven't watched TV since 2005, honestly. Right, right. Um, There's nothing good to watch. <laughs> I do love movies, so I'll watch movies, but the media wants us to be so wrapped around the axle about what's happening in the presidency or what Congress is doing, and I'm telling you, it's not that important mm -hmm. because the people that have the most power over your life that determine the value of your dollar are unelected, like you said, but the people that have the most power over my direct life are my mayor and my city council and my school board. Okay, so say that again. Who is it? Your mayor, your city council, and your school board. Wow. And we didn't know that a year ago. Absolutely. We didn't know that. And so we thought, well, it doesn't really matter. Actually, it does matter. They can make your life a living hell. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> they really can. when I was teaching in college, I would always tell my students, hey, your local government is the most important government. And I knew this. And I knew that we have over 9,000 sovereign governments in the United States. When you divide it up between school boards and city councils and county government, um, we have all of these independent governments working within the United States. And I knew it and I didn't participate. I knew it and I wasn't an active citizen. Like I knew better. That's mm -hmm. almost worse than not knowing. So if you're frustrated and if you think I'm not interested, I don't want to learn all this, it's hard. And none of us were doing it. Yeah. And that's how we got to where we are. Absolutely. That's how we got to where we are. And the school boards, you know, we're finding out, you want to know how come critical race theory is in your school? Go talk to your school board. Right. You know, we can lay the, the blame at the feet of the governor. Certainly, you know, Governor Inslee, who, you know, passed this ridiculous mandate now that the, that the, the staff and teachers of public schools are required to learn this racist ideology, which is critical race theory. It's garbage on its face. And if you don't want that in your school, you better get going to the school board right now. And at the very least, you got to show up. And I think when we were door knocking for our last school board elections, we had a lot of people say, oh, I don't have a kid in school. I, I, I don't, we're so far removed. And um, Melissa made this really great point. And she said, but we live with these people. Right. We want to hire these people. This is our town. If we don't care about our schools, then who is? Yes, yes. These are tomorrow's teachers. Absolutely. They're tomorrow's police officers. They are tomorrow's judges. These are tomorrow's factory workers. And it absolutely matters. And you, you touched on economics the other day. And it matters that we understand our system of economics. Absolutely. If we don't understand our system of economics, we're going to wind up with socialism. Yeah. And we need to understand why that's wrong so interesting. You know, I had uh, Linda Hobart on the show with me a couple of weeks ago and she's written a course called the mystery of history. And we were talking about socialism and she was saying basically socialism is when the government controls the means of production. Right. And so we talked about this kind of for quite a while and we put it on my Facebook page. And when I say we, I mean my staff, since I'm still locked <laughs> out of my Facebook page, uh, actually, no, as of the date of this recording, I am back on Facebook. So maybe I've been locked out again. Who knows? But I found it so interesting because the Young Socialists of America came to my Facebook page and basically swarmed it by the hundreds. And I, I spent two and a half hours just banning and deleting these yahoos off my page who don't have a better argument than just to say, well, you're an idiot. Too bad you don't understand what true socialism is. And I'm like, wow, these are products of our public schools. These students who believe they're on a righteous mission, who believe that socialism is good, even though we can prove over and over and over again. It's never worked. It's not good. It won't work here in the United States and we don't want it. If we don't understand history, we're going to, that's what, exactly what we're going to get. So I have an entire lecture in my American government course about the U.S. political spectrum. And it's based on this chart in every single government class, even in college, I had this same chart and I didn't understand it. It was so confusing to me because it had like right and left, red and blue, Democrat, Republican. But then it started mixing in all these other things like you're a right winger. So the, the very far end of that is totalitarianism and they point to fascism, right? And 
Right. right. They, they Which is where you get Antifa. Right. Who thinks they're against. This is why people go, wait a second. Why are, why are the fascists which is Antifa, that is, they are the fascists. Why are they so against the Republicans? Well, now you know, because when you get to the end of the chart and you've got this right-wingers, now you're totalitarian and now you could you could potentially become a fascist. So Antifa comes along and says, no, uh, Republicans, we don't want you to become fascists. We're the anti-fascists. And then they become the fascists. So here's, and um, I hate that graph because it mixes political terms and economic terms um, and terms that we use today, like Democrat and Republican, right and left. And I don't like that chart. And so I made my own chart the way I see government and the way I see politics. And I think the way that that the Bible tells us we have an individual relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So we have this scale that's in all, that we're taught that if you're a right winger, then the ultimate end of that is fascism. And if you're a left winger, then the ultimate end of that government is communism. Well, it's frustrating to me because... Communism is an economic system. So this chart mixes a bunch of terms, political terms and economic terms. I think the better way to look at it is who has the power. So in our Constitution, it says we the people, right? We have the power. You um, had Abraham Lincoln's quote, a a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Our declaration says the consent of the governed. So the power in the United States is with the people, that the individual person has the power. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum is the government having all the power, right? So that's the better scale to look at things. Well, the people having all the power, everybody doing what they want, right? Judges tells us that's not a good thing when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And politically, we call that anarchy. Well, we don't want that. So then the next on the scale is democracy. Well, there's really only been a few pure democracies. And so Aristotle said the end of all democracies is mob rule. Last summer we saw mob rule. Mob rule. We're seeing it still. Absolutely. Then a little bit farther away from that is a republic, a government of laws and represented officials. That's what we have that has worked best for us. That's what we have to protect. And then you get into more state-controlled where you have a monarchy or an aristocracy and it, the state power is held in a figure. You have other forms of government. And eventually, at the very far scale, you have totalitarian governments. So I think looking at individual power, who has the power in a system, is a better way to look at it than that terrible generic graphic that seems to be in every political science book in high school and college. Well, and for now... Because we've, we have we don't know about that. We don't understand. And you can see people keep saying, well, that, that's a purple state, right? Mm-hmm. We're mixing the red and the blue together. And we're mixing these ideas of economic systems and, and government systems. And I think, wouldn't it be something, and we, we've got, I mean, we've got our work cut out for us, Emily. This is why what you're doing is so important in Great American Studies. We got our work cut out for us because we're, we're upside down and backwards. Well, what happens when you're confused about something? You don't know what to do. <laughs> So think about teaching generations of America very confusing principles and fuzzy details about things. And that gets us to where we are. Mm -hmm. We need clarity. And and even in our own decisions, we need clarity. We need information. We need truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I'm trying to bring that has been absent in American history and American civics being taught to our high schoolers. Yeah, because we've been seeing a decline in the knowledge of our students now for, I would say a generation, absolutely. you know, who don't understand why it's so important that we 
get back to the system. And actually, even in our public schools, you know, one of the, one of the things I'm running on for Congress is say, get the politics out of our schools. We shouldn't, and all of this stuff is political. This desire to have the great reset, to take us back to what year zero, we were talking about this yesterday or uh, at dinner. And this idea that we're going to, we're just going to hit the reset button and start over. That's why the kids in downtown Portland are knocking over our statues and trying to erase our history. We must not let them erase our history. We've got to fight for it. And that's what you're doing. Where can people find you again online? Because I wanted to be able to check out and it's really quickly. Can you give us a, a brief synopsis again of what you're doing at Great American Studies? Right now, I have a government course. It's 16 weeks of assignments, readings, video lectures. There's even quizzes and tests. Can the kids get credit for it? Absolutely. If you're homeschooled, absolutely. So it's 16 weeks. You can move through it in 16 weeks. You can take longer if necessary. You have a year subscription to access that course. So you can move through it. I highly suggest everyone in your family watching it together and have a great conversation at dinner time, right? About learning the fundamentals so you can apply what you know and discussing what's happening in the news around mm-hmm. the dinner table is a great, great gift. I'm going to start working on an early American history course and then a late American history course. That's exciting. So what you're doing is, and I love this on your website, my goal is to introduce students to the people and ideas that have made the United States the greatest nation in history. And I just think it's, it's, it's so important. It just gives me goosebumps just looking at what you're doing, because I know that this is a move of God, that God loves this nation. And we, we don't know what's ahead, right? But we do know who holds the future. And we do know that where we came from honored God, we came from a place of wanting to honor him. We've moved so far away from that. And really we're reaping, you know, the Bible says that when the righteous are in power, the people rejoice and the, when the wicked are in power, the people groan. And boy, there's a lot of groaning going on in the United States right now. Well, uh, Emily Laddick, I just, this has been an absolute joy to have you here. You are a, you are a freedom, you are a freedom fighter. I really love it. A homeschool mom, freedom fighter. We need more of you out in the culture today. I appreciate you coming and we'll have to have you back on again when I'm in my normal studio and not in an NBC Suites hotel room. Although this is working out great. Look at us with our little Jimmy rig. You know, we've got, I wish you guys could see us. We got pillows all around us. What your, your uh, recorder is on an ice bucket. Absolutely. But isn't that what homeschool, you just improvise. Improvise. I I love this. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Emily. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you you for having me. For more information on Emily and the courses, you can go to greatamericanstudies.com. I'm going to link back to it in the show notes today. You guys, listen, if you don't do anything else, you've got to start reading the history of our country to your children. Read it out loud. You know, we've been doing this in the bus for the last six weeks. You know me, I've probably taught my kids U.S. history, oh, at least four times. (laughs) They're like, would you guys like to do a world history or would you like to U.S. history? And they just look at me with it's like, oh my goodness, we're going to do it again. Yes, we are. You just won the U.S. history lottery. You're going to do it again with your mom. And you know what? Parents are going to learn right along with their kids. So check it out, greatamericanstudies.com. You guys, we really appreciate your uh, support of this ministry and for listening to the to the podcast. Please do us a favor and leave reviews for the show over at iTunes. You can go there, just click on the stars, leave us a review. If you could leave a five-star review and then better yet, write something about the show, that would be fantastic. We sure love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you back here again on Monday at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at momstronginternational.com.